Today's scripture reading will be from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. That is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made him, himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has, given, has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Good morning. In the passage that Caleb just read, he talked about the humility of Christ. And that's going to be a key component today as we talk about the Pharisee and the tax collector from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. We have many visitors with us this morning, and you're an honored guest. Wonderful to have you here. And I apologize to Scott because, Scott, I, I led you wrong. I, I was off on another song, too, and I sang it so loud it was hard for you to get back on track. So I'm trying to demonstrate humility there and be more like the uh, tax collector instead of the Pharisee that we're going to read uh, in this passage. I want to keep, as was announced, Brother Joe Graham in our prayers. Um, he appreciates him and Lynn do the prayers. He's just not feeling up to, to visiting right now, so don't take it personally. Sometimes we need to be aware of the needs of others, but it's going to be a long road for recovery. But uh, it, was, it was good speaking with him very briefly yesterday. So let's talk about a parable because the Gospel of Luke is full of many parables. And it literally means placing aside or setting aside for a comparison. So Jesus gives these parables. We know that uh, not everyone that hears parables are going to understand them. You have to have the right mindset as he teaches in other passages. But he's going to give a story and make an application and people are going to be able to understand it. And there are many parables in Luke that we could read and talk about. So here is a definition from Vines. It is generally used of a somewhat lengthy utterance or narrative drawn from nature or human circumstances, the object of which is to set forth a spiritual lesson. So the physical is used to communicate the spiritual. And in this parable that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the Pharisee and the publican or the tax collector. And so to give us a little background, I want us to look at some of the things the Bible has to say about each of these groups very quickly. And, and most of these are going to be found in Luke First of all, the Pharisees. We know the Pharisees believed in angels. They believed in a resurrection. We know that Paul himself was a Pharisee. We know that Jesus is going to take them to task many times, primarily because of their hypocrisy and the fact that they were lovers of money. As we discussed this morning in the Bible class, when talking about Acts, when Paul was in Athens, there were many people there that were religious, but they didn't understand uh, what they were worshiping, or they were religious, but they had other motives, ulterior motives in terms of what their practice and what their religion was. 
So to give us a sense, let's take a look first at Luke chapter 11. And this is Jesus spoken to the Pharisees and the lawyers, starting in verse 37. Luke chapter 11, and let's start in verse 37. And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. When the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. And stopping right there, so we can be into our image and portraying something about ourselves. But God knows our hearts. And so it reminds me uh, of this old TV show where a guy was sold a house and he looked at the front of the house, he says, I want to buy that house. All it was was a movie set. And he went through the door and there was nothing on the other side. There was no rooms, there was no floor, there was no structure, there was nothing. It was simply the front of the house, he saw the outside. God knows what we're thinking in our hearts, what we're thinking in our minds, what's in the inside. Verse 40, foolish ones. Boy, how many people would be offended by Jesus calling people foolish? But it is based on the fact that they are proclaiming to be followers of God, but were not in spirit and in their hearts following what God wanted. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather give alms of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you Pharisees. And that phrase, woe to you Pharisees, is seen many times in the New Testaments. And as we're studying the book of Jeremiah Wednesday nights, woe the warning that's given and the exclamation point that's here in our translations. This is something that should catch our attention. Jesus, this group considers themselves religious and right, and they've got everything going for them, but yet Jesus is warning them. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. So, in other words, they were engaged in some religious practices, and they were doing some of them faithfully. But look what the rest of that verse says. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. The fact that we're responsible for doing all of God's will. That again, we could do things on the outside and people could see these things. But if we're not giving our entire heart to God and not doing everything that we're supposed to do, then it could be in vain. Verse 43, he repeats, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats of the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. So we get an insight into what the mind of some Pharisees was. Now, of course, we do know that there were those, like Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, in the Gospel of John, who's going to respond to the Gospel message. But you recall that he's going to go to Jesus by night secretly. He's going to sort of hide what's going on uh, from the rest of the group. Another passage is just flip over to Luke chapter 12. And let's just take a look at the first three verses there. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 1. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, so they had trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear 
in the ear, in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. So again, there's going to come a point where what we do is manifest. And other people may never know, but God will know. We know that for every person here, there is pointed a day of judgment. And we have to live with, again, the mindset that this could be our last hour, this could be our last day. And if we have failed to serve and respond to God in obedience, then our life is going to be in vain. So we get a sense of the Pharisees and their influence. We know the concept of leaven. It's the same concept that's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when it says a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Turn over to Luke chapter 16, please, Luke chapter 16, and take a look at verse 14. Luke 16, verse 14. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him, that being Jesus. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men. For God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. So this gives us a little background when we get into the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, and now let's take a look at the tax collector. Let's take a look at the publican. They were not viewed in very high esteem in society. It wasn't like an IRS agent collecting taxes. They were viewed as a traitor, as a sellout, because they were collecting taxes through the Roman Empire. In collecting these taxes, they often engaged in practices that were unethical and immoral, uh, putting a higher price so they could collect more for themselves. And we have some examples of what takes place there. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 3, if you'll go back there. Luke chapter 3, and this is pretty interesting, again, in our discussion of the tax collector. And let's take a look at verses 12 through 13. Now, this is John the Baptist who's preaching to people here. And it says in verse 12, Then tax collectors also came to be baptized. And, of course, that's the baptism of John. And said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Simple instruction. But that indicates that these tax collectors, you can see why people would despise them so much. Number one, they're working for the Romans, even though they're, they're Jewish, so they're viewed as traitors. They are profiting, they're, they're becoming rich off these things. If you go, for example, to uh, Luke chapter 16 I'm sorry, not that passage uh, Luke chapter 19 and this is about Zacchaeus and again, most children in here know the story of Zacchaeus uh, a wee little man and how he climbed up to see Jesus passing through but take a look at Luke chapter 19 verse 1 then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a what? chief tax collector and he was rich. And of course, we know that one of his responses, he, he does what Jesus instructs when he tells him, come down from there, for I'm going to your house today. And Jesus goes there. And we know that Zacchaeus, it says in verse 8, Then Zacchaeus stood and looked to the Lord, Look, Lord, I gave half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. 
So he's acknowledging the fact that he's rich and wealthy based off his profession. He was a chief tax collector. And look what Jesus says in verse uh, 9 of that chapter. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and saved that which was lost. So, so that's a little background, a little view of the Pharisees and the tax collectors as we turn over to Luke chapter 18. And this is in a series of parables. We already defined what a parable was. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 18 and read verses 9 through 14 and then extract a bunch of lessons out of this section. Luke 18 verse 9. Also, he, that's being Jesus again, spoke this parable. Now, who is the parable to? It says, also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. So, this parable, specifically, were for those who trusted in themselves. All of us can have a difficulty with thinking too highly or trusting in ourselves. What's the problem with that? If we trust in ourselves, then we're not trusting in God. If we're trusting in ourselves then we may not clearly see what we really are. We have to see ourselves as God sees us, not how as we believe ourselves. Because typically, all of us have a tendency to be less hard on ourselves than the reality is. So, so that's the first thing we see here. It's, it's for those who trust it in themselves. And, and, and specifically, look more what it says. It says, Also he spoke this parable to some who trust in themselves that they were what? Righteous. So these are people that felt that they were okay, that felt that they were confident in their religion and their faith. But there's another thing we see here. They trust in themselves that they are righteous and despised others. Now again, do we love our enemies as ourselves? Do we have compassion for those who maybe we disagree with or we think aren't as wise as we are? Again, we know that uh, Jesus teaches us how to look at other people. We view them as a soul. It's not about us and how we feel. It's about the fact that that's a soul that we have an opportunity to influence and possibly to save. Can we have that issue? Can we trust in ourselves? Can we think that we're righteous when we're not? Can we despise others? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you in here have not liked someone? You've had real dis- Some of you started to put your hands up. Don't do that. You, you, you really did not like someone. And it can be difficult. We've all dealt with, with people and it could try our patience. But again, we have an opportunity, even when people act foolish, carnal, do things that are very worldly, we have an opportunity to be a light to them in our example. How do we respond to them? How do we handle that particular situation? So that's who this parable is for specifically. So if you've ever trusted in yourselves... If you ever felt you were righteous when maybe there was something going on that indicate that maybe you have some difficulties, or if you've ever despised others, I would invite you to read the rest of this with me, because this parable is for you, and it's for me. And I've been this person both times. I've been on both sides here. Now let's take a look at verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. So they're both wanting to engage in religious activity. We know that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, as it says in the book of James. And again, we had a lesson where we talked about our need to be right before God. For one reason, because when we pray for others, that that prayer might be heard. 
So both of them, it seems like a noble cause here. And it defines, says, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector or publican. And again, depends on which translation you use. Verse 11. So here's the Pharisee. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood up and prayed thus with himself. So he's standing up and praying. Again, the position's not relevant here, but we're, but notice how it says here, and then think about that we contrast it with the tax collector in a few moments. Here's the prayer. Stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like the other men. So he's not thinking about it. He's comparing himself not to what God's standard is. He's comparing himself to other people. And then he gets specific. Extortioners. Unjust. Adulterers. Now, none of us should be those things. God commands that we're not to be extortioners. God wants us to be just. And again, going back to the, 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 the song earlier, with you know, well, those things happen. If we worship, as we talked about in class today, John chapter 4 in spirit and in truth, that's what God wants. We're all going to make mistakes. That's why Christ had to come, because we weren't perfect. Adulterers, I mean, those are all things that the Bible teaches clearly on. We're not to be any of those things. So, so he's, taking, uh, he's taking trust in that. Now, now, notice he doesn't pray, I thank you that I don't have pride. I thank you that I don't have arrogance. Because he would not see those characteristics as a problem. But then he goes a step further. He says, that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Think about that for a moment. He's praying to God, and he's thinking about someone else who's near him. And he's made a judgment about this person. Now, as we indicated earlier, this judgment about tax collectors, that's pretty much how they were thought of. But he's making a judgment of someone else while he's praying to God. So the focus is not on him, except for, well, I think I'm not like them, but it's on someone who's next to him. I mean, when we prayed a few minutes ago, were you thinking about, boy, I'm sure glad that you know I'm not like the person next to me. Pretty incredible when you think about it that way. And then... In verse 12, he starts citing his, his religious works, what he does. As we've been studying on Wednesday nights, we took a long period of time in the book of Isaiah. And then a long period of time in Jeremiah. And we could trust in the fact that we show up to worship. We could trust in the fact that we might engage ourselves in certain things. But the question is, can we do some of those things and still be unacceptable in the sight of God? Very quickly, let's turn to... For those of you who've been here Wednesday night, very familiar with, turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. And remember that the prophet of Isaiah is speaking from the perspective of the Lord. And so the question I want to ask is, were people being religious here uh, uh, in, in Isaiah chapter 1, right? So they're offering things. But yet, this is the way that the Lord views what they're doing. Take a look at verse 13. Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. So they're offering all these sacrifices. They're meeting together. But it's not acceptable for the Lord. He continues on in verse 14. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. 
When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from uh, from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come to get come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. So the point is in that chapter of Isaiah, they were religious. They were offering sacrifices, they were gathering together, and the Lord tells them, no more. It is done, it is futile what you're doing. It is not acceptable what you're doing. Now back to Luke chapter 18. In verse 12, you're going to see the Pharisees start to cite the works he's engaged in. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And again, we know that fasting is talked about and mentioned. It's not a New Testament command where where we have to fast, but there is benefit to that. And we also know that uh, tithes, that the Bible teaches about giving. We just uh, had a collection not too long ago. We we can uh, show passages that prove that type of thing. But he's again citing his works. you know. And you might remember the uh, widow with her might, and she's giving out of her need as opposed to those who are looking around and and giving a huge amount that's really not a huge amount to them. But they want it to be publicly seen. So that's what he's trusting in. Now, that is the the Pharisee. Now, let's take a look at the contrast that we see here in verse 13 with the publican or tax collector. It says in verse 13, And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. So he won't even look up. He, he, he is demonstrating just by his physical position, by his eyes, that he has humility, that he has respect for God. And we're going to see the emotion with which he feels. And his emotion is based, again, on the recognition of his own actions in his own life. Let's continue. It says, And the tax collector standing afar off, so that indicates that the, the Pharisee was up close to the temple, and here is the tax collector. He doesn't feel worthy in terms of position of the temple. He, he's, he's sort of afar off, and uh, as we communicated, wouldn't raise his eyes to heaven. And then it says in verse 13, But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He recognizes the state he's in. And now, Jesus is going to give a conclusion to this. Verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And we see that principle time and time again in the scriptures. He who is first shall be last. He who is last shall be first. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And you probably thought, for example, about the Beatitudes. Uh, Bill Blades, not too long ago, led us through the Sermon on the Mount. If you take a look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went, that's Jesus, up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if the world was making this list, that's not what they would teach. The carnal world and the carnal man would tell you to stand up for yourself, to be out front, to to be boastful, to be prideful, to, to communicate loud, to be strong, not to take anything from anyone. That's not the way of Christ. And if we proclaim to be Christians, if we proclaim to be disciples of Christ, then it's necessary that we follow His example and His commandments, His instruction. And that's one of the things we want to talk about. So again, uh, reviewing what we've studied so far, remember that Jesus was doing the teaching, so He has the authority here. Jesus spoke this parable with a strategy. He knew that the group He was teaching to, those who trusted in themselves, those who thought they were righteous, and those who despised others. He had spoken just before in that passage of Luke about the parable of the persistent uh, widow. God determines who is viewed as righteous and acceptable, not us. How do we know? Because we have the revealed word of God where we can measure what our lives are and what they're supposed to be. We have instruction. We have revelation to teach us in terms of what we should be. We cannot be righteous without Christ. And, and again, if you're here and you've not responded to Christ, then, then you cannot be acceptable for God, except through Christ. He is the mediator. He is the propitiation for our sins. We have to love other people and not despise them. Take a look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And let's read verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So the Pharisee didn't have that, did he? He despised others. He wasn't loving other people. And we know that we, as Christians, are to have a love for the brethren. And we also know that we are to have a love for those who are lost, recognizing the urgency and the difficulty of their spiritual condition. Both these men... In this parable, the Pharisee and the publican, both of them were created by God. And we touched about that a little bit in Bible class this morning. When Paul in Athens is going to use their culture and their idol to the unknown God as a starting point to teach them. A comment I made at the end of class, before that he had taught in the synagogues. So Paul was willing to go to all men, even to the Gentiles, which of course uh, the Jews had a problem with. They went to seemingly the right place to the temple. 
It's interesting because we're studying in Jeremiah. We just are in Jeremiah chapter 25 Wednesday night, where again they're told about the 70 years of captivity that's going to take place. And remember that one of the things that's going to happen is that the temple's going to be destroyed. So the temple they go up to here in this parable at this time was the temple that was rebuilt after the exiles returned from Babylonian captivity. And, and remember that the Lord allowed that to happen. And again, do we learn from history? Do we learn from what happens to previous generations, to the examples uh, that we see? Now, they're both praying again, which could be a good thing. But we need to know who we're praying to, the God we're praying to. We have examples of how to pray and, and what to pray for. Now, I want to point this out as well. The Pharisee as a faction, and I've mentioned this several times, uh, that I see things a lot through the eyes of factions. And, and we see this here. Because the Pharisees are not an authorized faction. The Lord didn't command and say, I want a sect called the Pharisees. We know that there was another group at the time called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees didn't believe in angels, as I mentioned earlier. And they didn't believe in a resurrection. Which is interesting because why would you even have faith if, if God couldn't resurrect us from the dead? But yet those two factions, what? They made an alliance because they were against Christ and because of what he taught. Just like in Jeremiah chapter 25, we know that nations are going to ally against God and they're going to fail. We know that Zedekiah as king is going to try to find an ally in Egypt even though the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah and other prophets said, no, 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 you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. What is it about mankind that continually fights against God? Well, one attitude that allows us to fight against God is that attitude that I'm good, I'm righteous, I don't need anything, I'm self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency could be a real problem for us. As I mentioned before, the tax collector being despised, because he was seen as a sellout and because of the corruption that was associated with that. You can't help but think about that with all the stuff in the news where, you know, one faction was upset because a former president had uh, was in possession of classified documents. And now it's coming out that the current president has a bunch of classified documents in his possession. So it'll be interesting to see whether the same level of justice that people are demanding for is administered to both individuals or whether... Again, it's different because they're of a particular uh, faction. Uh, so let's turn to John chapter 8 and verse 7. Now what's interesting about the Gospel of John, it, it doesn't have parables like Luke does. So we could spend a whole lesson talking about the uniqueness of the Gospels. But John chapter 8, verse 7. And this, of course, has to do with the woman that was caught in adultery. And so the group there is ready to stone this woman. Look what it says in verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. So here is the group ready to judge this woman, and yet didn't even see their own hypocrisy and their own sin in their lives. And it says in verse 8, And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, 
and with a woman standing in the midst. So, so all the people who were ready to, to stone and bring judgment to this woman, they left when the spotlight was turned on them. Look at your own lives. And who did that come from? That came from Jesus himself. Now again, this doesn't mean that Jesus approved of the way the woman was living, as we'll see in a moment. Then it says in verse 10, 10 When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. But notice what he says next. Go and do what? Go and sin no more. So he wasn't saying, just go back and live life however you want to. But he was giving her an opportunity to change right then and not to sin anymore. And though that group of people that trusted themselves, at that point at least, that group had a conscience enough to, to pause and to stop and to leave that situation. So I, I find that to be uh, quite fascinating. Romans chapter 14, verse 4. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he'll be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. We had that Pharisee judging another man. Instead of saying, this person's here to pray. I wonder somehow if I could help them. They couldn't because he was too into himself. He didn't even care about the other person, except as using him as an example, I thank God I'm not like this tax collector over here. Matthew chapter 7. I've cited this one a lot about judgment. And again, it doesn't say that we can't make judgments. God calls us to judge and discern things all the time. But again, there are parameters and boundaries about it. Are we judging people about things that aren't related to authority in Scripture? Are they my opinions? Are we judging other people when we have blatant problems in our own lives and hypocrisy? So I want to remind us what it says in this section of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 verse 1. Judge not that you... Be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. So that's the first thing to consider. If we're going to judge other people harshly, then isn't it fair game that we're judged the same way? And then it says, um, verse 3, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the what? The plank or log in your own eye. So I could find fault in that other person. But I've got this glaring plank log coming out of my own eye. Verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. So these are questions that Jesus is asking in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount to get people to think. And then he says in verse 5 that word that we saw earlier referring to the Pharisees. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then what? And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So we do have the ability to judge and to help other people. But we can't help remove the speck from the other person's eye if we have that glaring hypocrisy. And why should anyone listen to me if I proclaim to be a disciple and, and I'm living as someone like the world, I'm a lover of money like the Pharisees, I'm trusting myself like the Pharisees, I'm doing portions of the law, but not the entire law, like the Pharisees. And so that could be the danger for any of us. We can associate ourselves with a faction or group, and we can live through the faith of others in that group, but feel that we're not accountable. 
Those of us here today, we have to understand we have an individual responsibility and accountability before God. We're going to be judged for our actions and our deeds and our response. Good or bad, we can't rely on others in judgment. They're there to help us. God has put brethren in place. We have relationships. We're responsible for those relationships. But when we stand before God in judgment, it's going to be us. We know it's required. John chapter 14, verse 15. What does Jesus say? If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Obedience is required as well. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Now we know from what Jesus said that the Lord would have heard the prayer of the tax collector, but not of the Pharisee. And that's interesting because, again, from the human perspective, they would have the, the complete. If you were to ask, if you were in the temple that day and said, which one of these people are accepted before God? Oh, it must be the Pharisee. He, he's religious. Look at all the wonderful things he does. He's part of the strictest sect around at the time. But again, that's man defining it, not God. We know that, for example, when David was chosen as king, everyone thought it's going to be one of his brothers. They were taller, they were older, they were bigger. And what does it say there? What is Samuel even taught in that passage? God looks at the what? Looks at the heart. And he knew the heart of David. And that David was going to be a servant after his own heart. James 5, verse 16, which I preached on not too long ago. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So one of the reasons why I should be righteous is because there is power and there is impact on my prayer if I manage my life and I'm acceptable for the Lord. So with the issue with Brother Joe Graham, the issue with Brother Shane Grow and all the fighting he's gone through, the Woodsides and the loss of, of Lori's mother, all the difficulties that people are going through, can I pray, but that prayer is not heard because I don't honor God and I don't transform my life in a way that He wants, that my prayer is not heard? There it is for yourself. Again, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So that's a motivation, part of the motivation. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And God is going to humble us. And remember that Christ is going to be the one to execute judgment. Matthew chapter 7, 21 and 23. And, and, and Sal, see if this sounds familiar. Okay? This is Jesus speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So just proclaiming that I'm going to enter heaven doesn't mean anything. What's, what's it say? But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day. Now I want you to notice all the religious activities that are cited here. Right? Oh, I'm, I'm going to enter kingdom because look what I've done. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Well, we've been studying in Jeremiah a bunch of people that have prophesied in his name that were wrong. Oh, we're not going to be held in 70 years captivity. No, we're not going to be conquered. The temple's not going to be destroyed. We're not going to be overtaken. They trust in themselves. Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, 
and done many wonders in your name. And then look what verse 23 says. And this is Jesus. And then I, being Jesus, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They were confident in their religion and their religious activities, but Jesus is going to reject them. Too much is at stake for us to play games. Too much is it for stake for us to trust in ourselves and think we're righteous and despise others. We strive to become more and more like God wants us to be. Our lives are constantly changing in character. But we need to have humility always to allow God to mold us and shape us in what we're capable of being. So I ask you this morning, right now in your life, and you could only answer this for yourself, but hopefully praying and looking to God and His Word as the standard. Are you more like the Pharisee? Or are you more like the tax collector? We need to trust in God and not in ourselves. If you are here today and not a Christian, we offer the invitation as an opportunity for you to respond to the gospel. If you're not sure what that entails, we'd be glad to meet and talk with you that you repent of sin, you confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. In that response, you are baptized for remission of sins. And they have an opportunity to walk in the path of faith, knowing that God is going to keep His promises. You're assured of His promises. No matter what happens in this life. Because remember, the design of us is that we're temporal, physical beings. How many examples do we have around us of life quickly going by? Do we pay attention to these things? Or do we think somehow that we're going to live forever? We can live forever if we choose to. Respond to God. If you're a member here and you need the prayers or support of the congregation, this is the opportunity to make those requests known. If you have a need, we encourage you to come forward as we stand and we sing.